Jesus was first and foremost. There was nothing more important than him or his church, what he was doing in the earth. But then things started to happen that we can see would have been the genesis of a turnaround, things that weren't going to continue quite as they were. And the first thing is they encountered demonic power, or you can call it counterfeit power. Now, we went as far as verse 12 in, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, two weeks ago. Uh, now we're going to pick it up at verse 13. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, now an exorcist is someone who cast out devils from people, they took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Now, it's very possible to have an evil spirit. You can be harassed. Sometimes people have terrible dreams at night. Sometimes people have chronic depression. And, and, and it's not just, it can, it, well, yeah, it can be a natural phenomenon, I suppose. But the enemy of your soul, the devil, just loves to be able to traffic in anything that can destroy you or put you down. Put you down. And so these Jewish exorcists, notice they're Jewish, um, they say, we exorcise you by the name whom Paul preaches. Now, they said, we cast out this devil and all that it was doing in you and causing all the problems for you, and we cast that devil out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Well, there's two kinds of spiritual authority. There's two kinds of spiritual power. One of them is good power. And it's the power of God, made possible because of Jesus and brought to us through the Holy Spirit. And many good things happen as a result of the good power of God. Last Monday night, we heard one of the most amazing miracle stories of healing, how uh, Darren Cusey had a had a, a cancerous growth in his lungs that were the size of an orange, and uh, it, it was just incredibly. Uh, and he was stage four. The doctor said there's nothing they could do. There were so many, so many growths in his neck and down into his body, and the, then people prayed for him, and now that growth has shrunk to the size of a blueberry. And the doctors said that uh, they can't see signs of the cancerous growths that were there just a couple of weeks ago. So, is there power in the name of Jesus? Uh, is there power in the name of the Lord? I, I thought it was one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard about healing. And it's still in process. He still has that blueberry. And he said, we're praying for a complete deliverance and healing for him. So, uh, wow. And then there's countless stories. I, I, I was a little boy, three, four years old, and I was dying one night of asthma. And the doctor came and said, uh, we had a doctor that traveled back in those days. That would have been about 1949 or so, 1950. How um, I many remember those years? Uh, don't put up your hands. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, so 
my parents called for the elders of the church, the pastor and the leaders of the church, and they laid hands on me, and asthma completely left me. I've never had it since. My brother struggles with it to this day. So is God powerful? Does he demonstrate his power? Yes, he does. But then there's counterfeit power, and it it can come in the form of good-looking spiritual power, when in fact it isn't. And And there's a great danger in looking for spiritual power or spiritual counsel or spiritual ministry from someone who's not truly and completely submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his will in their lives. Whatever you do, don't open yourself up to that. And there's certain ways that you can tell uh, if a person is authentic or not. But anyway, they called on the name of Jesus, uh, whom Paul preaches, in an effort to take these spirits out of this, these persons, these evil spirits. So they didn't know Jesus. They only knew him from the fact that Paul referred to him all the time. And they saw what Paul was doing, and so they said, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So they had no relationship with Jesus. Well, next in verses 14 to 16, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. So here are these Jewish people who are uh, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, so to speak, or seemingly so, when it came to exorcising those who were oppressed or possessed uh, by by demons. And he was a Jewish high priest, so he would have been a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a high-up Jewish leader. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So he tried to cast out demons, and he was encountered this demon, and, uh, and he said, uh, you know, I, I recognize Jesus, I recognize Paul, but I have no idea who you are. And so there was powerlessness authority that was religious authority, but it really had no effect. And re- religion could do that. It it can look like it has power, but it really doesn't. And uh, it it says, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So there's a group of people, a group of people in a house with a man who is possessed by an evil spirit, and... Uh, these, the Skeva, high priest, Jewish high priest and seven sons, they try to cast out the devil, the demon in this man, and, and they couldn't. They were messing with something that was above their ability. And that's a scary thing. And so the demon possessing this man caused this man 
to jump on the people that were there. Looks like he took out a whole group of men. Uh, he overpowered them. He prevailed against them. And they fled out of the house naked. He tore their clothes off, ripped their clothes off and scratched them, clawed at them, punched them. They were wounded. And uh, uh, you got to be careful. And the church was encountering now evil spirits. Well, verses 17 to 20. First of all, verses 17. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. So here's the two group, two people groups. They are of two different nationalities and for the most part, two different religions. The, the Greeks would have believed in many gods, uh, Zeus, Diana, the uh, whole plethora of, of false gods. And the, and the Jews would have believed in Jehovah of the Old Testament, the one true God. So you had these two people groups. But they're both influenced equally uh, by what took place. And fear fell on them. They didn't want that to happen to them. They didn't want some guy who was possessed by a devil to attack them randomly. And and so uh, that fear came on them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So in a sense, it's good fear. It's fear that caused them to say, I'm living in a lifestyle that is not healthy. It's going to destroy me. And if you're living in that kind of fear, you find that there's things in your life that are not healthy, and you say, I'm afraid of this. Well, that's a good fear because it leads you, or it can lead you if you allow it, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he becomes magnified in your life over and above the fear you have and everything that caused it. Amen. Wow. So, um, the next (laughs) verse. Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it told 50,000 pieces of silver. So, fear came upon them. The Lord Jesus was magnified, and it produced fruit. Remember some of the Pharisees coming to John the Baptist, wanting to be baptized, and he wouldn't baptize them. And he said, you need to bring forth fruit that meets, uh, fruits of repentance before I can baptize you. Well, this is what happened, was happening here. Only in this case, they were bringing forth the fruits of true confession. They were saying, okay, what are the things in our lives that are causing us to be hurt spiritually, to be influenced by evil, whether it is in the form of sin or Satan's emissaries, demons. Huh, wow. Um, they brought them and they burnt them. Faith and confession go hand in hand. Faith without confession will not produce repentance. And it's repentance 
that causes the turnaround in our lives. Uh, repentance was a very big part of the messages that Jesus gave to the seven churches. He said, I counsel you to repent, to repent, to repent. Because the churches had allowed things that caused them to lose their first love. Things that they once prioritized concerning Jesus in their life, they were now abandoning. Well, uh, I should say this. uh, I think we've announced this before, so I think you know this. We have three university students that are working part-time in the church right now. And uh, with most of their wages being supplied by the provincial government, they called me and said, if you have anybody, (laughs) you can hire them. So we hired three. Uh, Those were the only three that were available. We could have hired more. Uh, And and so I gave Ina the responsibility of looking up what what are the influences that children are exposed to, that teenagers are exposed to, that really have a demonic component. And so she's been looking at this, and her eyes got really big. She said, I didn't know there was so much out there that influences our kids, what they're watching on TV, what they're watching on the Internet, and how, how much demonic activity there's involved in this. We hope to have that all ready for the handout next week. It's... It's a big document. Well, well, not that big, but anyway, uh, it's so exciting for me to see uh, these young people doing some research on some of these areas that are pertinent to the life of the church, particularly the life of our children and teens. Anyway, that'll come out because there's more, there's more things in our society that are demonically influenced than we sometimes recognize because they're just popular. Anyway, we'll talk about that uh, again. And so it says, The word of the, of the Lord grew mightily, and it prevailed. So now, okay, get the picture. There's miracles. There's people delivered from evil spirits. There are people throwing things in the fire that they know are paraphernalia that is more demonic than anything else. And so there's this tremendous influence both with Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus that are causing them to turn to Jesus. But the scripture focuses on one thing. When it says that which prevailed was the word of God. It could have said, well, there was this number of people that were delivered, this much number of people from the Jewish group that came to Jesus. And we could have talked about numbers, more miracles, more people casting off things that were, that they, that were harmful to them. But instead, the scripture says, the word of the Lord prevailed. Oh, and so it's the word of God. The necessity of the Word of God, the necessity of studying the Word of God, not just for information, but for a, a personal relationship with Jesus. It comes through understanding His Word, experiencing His Word in our lives, and living according to the Word of God. Wow. One of the greatest emphasis of the church, it should be, is teaching the Word of God. Yes, it's nice to have fun factor and have lots of fun and have kids come and 
kids kids deserve that and there's nothing wrong with that it, it's good but it's the word of god that we impart and we need to understand our responsibility when it comes to that and when it comes to our teens when it comes to all of us how diligently how diligent are we to study the scriptures and allow the scriptures to prevail in our lives well uh now, things that happened that really caused a turnaround for bad. First of all, Paul leaves Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verses 21 to 22. When these things were accomplished, something was accomplished. All of the things that had happened up to that point produced something. And Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So now something has happened. Everything focused around Paul. Paul we know. And uh, Jesus we know, but who are you? The, de the demonic presence actually recognized Paul and Jesus, and it's like they associated the presence of Jesus with the presence of Paul. And if you take Paul out of the equation, you really take Jesus out of the equation. That's what they thought. And if you read Acts chapter 20, you'll see how the Ephesian elders and leaders and the Ephesian people begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you go to Jerusalem, you'll be arrested. Don't, whatever you do, go to Rome, because you'll be killed. And they even prophesied to that effect. And Paul said, I'm not just not only willing to go to Jerusalem and go to Rome, I'm willing to go there and die for the sake of the gospel. To be able to preach the word of God, even in the upper echelons of Nero's or Caesar's courts and his government. So, Paul left. One of the greatest things that could happen that can cause you to diffuse your following of Jesus is that you put too much attention on a spiritual leader. And people will go to uh, the internet, they'll go to, they'll have their faith heroes. And there's nothing wrong with taking good information from the internet or good sermons. But it's so very easy to magnify a person to a place that God never intended them to be. And uh, it's just a vitally, vital important thing. I just really encourage you, if you're fascinated with what preachers are saying, that's fine. But make sure your primary fascination is with the Word of God, your own personal Bible study, your own personal relationship with Jesus. Especially if, well, I better not take too much there, because sometimes um, some of these preachers just gain so much wealth from the followings they create. And uh, it's just... Um, Anyway, did you, do you hear what I'm saying? Our fascination should be with Jesus. I said our fascination should be with Jesus. I said our fascination should be with Jesus. Our fascination should be with him and with each other. 
each other in the body of Christ because it's his church that he gave himself for. Okay, now, uh, now we get into the problem. Uh, how many people lost their faith or lost their love for Jesus because Paul left in Ephesus? We don't know. Uh, how many people have been disappointed because of things that leaders have said that they shouldn't have said or emphasis they've had that they shouldn't have had? We don't know that. But for sure, there's a lot of people that have looked at spiritual leaders and seen failures or see them teach things or suggest things that just don't line up with facts or line up with the Word of God, and through disappointment, they turn away. And that's why our focus must be Jesus, <laughs> because he will never disappoint you. He will never cause you to turn away. He will never harm or hurt you. Hallelujah. He's faithful. Well, uh, verses 23 to 27. Money. Money, 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 money. Give me money. I, I didn't mean that for you to give money. Just stay in your seats. Uh, I'm not asking for your money. You heard the guy got up and preacher said, I, I'm going to take up an offering for a needy cause. And he said, I'm the needy. And my wife's the cause. And so <laughs> that's not what I would say. And I can say that, no, Marlene is, that, anyway, you know that that certainly would not apply to Marlene. Marlene and Joanna are in Halifax right now. That's why they're not here. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Now, the way was a term that, you notice it's capitalized, the Christians didn't give themselves that title. The, the, you know, it wasn't something they decided, well, we're followers of Jesus. Let's give us ourselves a name. Let's call ourselves Christian Fellowship Church uh, or First United Baptist Church or whatever, some title. Um, come up with some kind of a denominational tag or something that tagged them as being different than everybody else. No, it was what the people said about them. It wasn't what they were saying about themselves. They weren't interested in titles. The, ch the church wasn't. But the, 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 the onlooker looked at the church and said, this is a whole new different way of living. This is unlike anything we have seen. These people are totally committed. And so different was the church to what the people of the culture were that they said, okay, well, they're from, they're followers of the way. They are on a journey that's different than ours. Oh, that the world would call us today people of the way. Well, that actually rhymed. Um, but anyway. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. So here's this Demetrius. He's a, a silversmith, and there's others who are connected to this trade. Of doing what? Making idols. Making the things that people were burning in the fire because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
And so suddenly, we got to do something about this. Now, at this point, it wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about the preaching. It wasn't about the phenomenon of miracles and people being set free from the power of the devil. No, it was about money. Uh, moreover, it says in verse um, 26 and 27, Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are, that they are not gods which are made of hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So, um, money, worship. False gods, false ideas connected to money. So if Diana has preeminence, if she is the God that the people not only in Ephesus but around the world worship, and this thing called the way causes causes people to not worship Diana anymore, causes people to turn away from that lifestyle to the lifestyle of the followers in the way, of the way. We're losing out. Our prosperity is being threatened. Now, when it comes to corruption in this world, and this world is full of it, it, it's in every sphere of life. It can even be in the church. Corruption when it comes to money. Corruption when it comes to things that we can buy with money. Corruption that can take us away from first love for Jesus. And sometimes it's not corruption. Sometimes it's just simply love of money. Because if I have more money, I have more of what I want. More things. My goals, my aspirations are connected to money. If I have more money, I can do this. I can do that. I can buy this. I can have more influence. And so people live often day by day with money on their mind. How do I get more money? One person in the church told me today, uh, I'm not going to point out Risa because she might be embarrassed, but anyway, one person in the church told me today, that I was scheduled to work, but I so wanted to be in church that I gave up my shift to somebody else. So she actually sacrificed money to be here today. Where is she? Is she downstairs with the kids? Oh, where is she? Where are you, Risa? Oh, she's back there. Well, bless you. 
and bless the body of Christ that puts priority where it ought to be. Now, I'm not suggesting you cancel shifts uh, because you, uh, in order to be in church. Uh, and, and she didn't leave her employer high and dry. She was able to have someone uh, cover for her. But the point of this is not work-related as much as it is our fascination and our love for money more than our love for God. And one of the ways that we sanctify the money we get is through the tithe. The tithe is an act of worship. The tithe is prioritizing our relationship with money and giving it and putting it under the Lordship of Christ. Offerings are more than that. They are things that we add to that. And the more, well, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. Mammon was actually the name of a god, the god of wealth. And so we're challenged with this thing. The people at Ephesus were challenged. They had fallen in love with with Jesus, and now they were facing this challenge about money. And when you get into the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, particularly the Thyatiran church, the seventh church, the last church, it's in the last part of chapter 3. It said, you have a reputation that you're rich and in need of nothing. So here was a church that celebrated wealth. It celebrated money. And Jesus said, but you don't realize that you're naked and you're, you're dead. You're not even alive. So they had the appearance of success. But really it was absolute and total failure. And Jesus said to them, I call those who I love to repentance. The amazing thing is that this Thyron Tyron church, Jesus loved them. And he said, I call you to something better, something more. And the amazing thing is for all of us, in our shortcomings, in the deficits we've allowed to crowd, uh, to come into our lives and crowd, crowd out the priority we give to Jesus, he never stops loving us. He never stops loving us. And he brings you, he calls you, he summons you to himself in all facets of life. Well, uh, now we're talking about money, and we move from there to uh, back to these common ideas of the culture. False beliefs about God, but very popular beliefs. And it's in Uh, verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. When they heard what? They heard about their money being taken from them if, if this message from the way was allowed to continue. And so it says they were full of wrath. Suddenly, The love for the church, the love for Jesus, the love for the power of God expressed in people being freed from evil spirits and the miracles and all that, suddenly that disappeared. 
and they were filled with wrath. And they reverted back to the ways of worship of the world. Of valuing things that the culture valued at the expense of their love for Jesus. We don't know how many of the church did this. We have no idea. No doubt there was a huge group of people that remained true to Jesus. But there was also compromises made that prompted Jesus in the book of Revelation to say, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. No doubt the church, they uh, wrestled with this. They had, what do we do? Do we throw out? You know, our worship of a recognition of Diana, I, I mean, people are mad. They're angry. We're going to be victims of that if we're not careful. So confusion results. Verses 19, or verses 29. So the whole city was filled with confusion. And they rushed into the theater. Now, that would have been a big outdoor theater, not a movie house. Um, it would have been a big outdoor theater where courts took place, where government decisions were made. And having seized Gaius and Aristus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So they grabbed Paul's friends. Paul wasn't present. And they dragged them into the court place, the place where decisions are made. And... Uh, or Paul was there, I guess. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. That's verse 30. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. And some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. So it starts off saying that the whole city was filled with confusion. And now when it got into deliberating matters, the whole assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. (laughs) Wow. Can you imagine? Now, this is a huge city. And there's all this kerfluffle, and everybody's caught up and said, come to the theater, and they, why are we here? Uh, That's how just crazy it was. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. We're not sure exactly who that was. The Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one accord cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So here is a man who's trying to make a case, and once the people find out that he's Jewish. So Anti-Semitism is rampant in the city, even though it was Jews and Greeks together that experienced the power of God. This is what you call a split, if you will. And then there was political influence. Verses 35 to 41, And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus, Zeus being the king of the gods. So the political leader quiets the crowd and says, wait a minute. You don't have to have all this fuss about the church or about 
the people of the way or Paul or Jesus, everybody knows what this city stands for. We stand for the worship of Diana. She came from heaven, from Zeus. And uh, next verse, therefore, since these things cannot be, be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Just leave the Christians alone. Don't bother them. They've had their little heyday thing. They've had their little fling here in the city, but it's nothing. Uh, since these things, what things? That Diana is the goddess of the Ephesians, and we worship her. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess, so the Christians hadn't decried Diana. They hadn't, they hadn't said, she's evil, you shouldn't worship her. No, they just presented Jesus. And so this official says, you know what? The, the Christians aren't trying to threaten your worship of Diana if you want to worship her. They've not blasphemed her or they've not robbed the temples that are erected for her. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone... The courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to, the, to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So you have political influence when it comes to ridiculing the church. When it comes to bringing her down in the eyes of the public. Right now in Canada, we have two, two bills that are being proposed to be brought to the House of Commons for a vote. One of, one of them is Bill C-6. And it's the bill that prevents anyone from counseling a person to change their sexual identity. So if a person comes and says, you know, I, I'm a gay man or a gay woman, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, you can't point them to the scripture. You can't say to them. And it's not just uh, gay or LGBTQ rights. It's, it's not that alone. If a teenager were to come to a pastor and say, listen, me and my girlfriend are having sex, and is it okay to do that? We're not really allowed under this bill to even say no at the risk of being charged and putting in jail for five years. That's before the parliament. The other bill is uh, Bill C-7, and it's, it's about euthanasia. And so we have laws that permit physician-assisted suicide in our country, and we've had those laws for five years now. And if a person requests, and they have a, a, a legitimate medical reason to ask for this, they can ask to be euthanized, to be killed by their doctor. Now, the rule presently says that you have to wait for 10 days before the doctor can do that. But the new bill says that if a person asks them one day, they can be put to death that same day. 
And the reasons for, for requesting suicide, um, physician-assisted suicide, have, have gone way, way down. Not nearly so stringent as they presently are. You know, on Friday, uh, watching the Canadian news, there's a story of a woman, I believe it was Quebec, who's in a nursing home, and she was a very people person. She loved people. She was in her 90s, and she had gone through wave one of the pandemic, and it was very, very hard for her. Her health went down. Her family saw this because she so interacted with people in the nursing home, and she just, and now she was confined to her room again. And she says, I can't do this. And so she asked her doctor to kill her. And she waited the 10 days, and on Friday, her doctor put her to death. Do we get to play God like that? How do we determine life and death? Who is it that we can say, if somebody wants to die, we can assist in that? These are the challenges before our Canadian Parliament right now. And what is the church to do? Well, there's a place for politics and for appealing to politicians. There's a place for standing up for the truth of God's word when it impacts human life like this. But I'm going to say this to you. Right now, in our present climate, and I've observed this over the past number of months, Christians are more likely or often appear to be more interested in politics, in the pandemic, and not the presence. Think about it. What consumes your thoughts and your interests and your time? Is it what's happening in the political arena? What's happening in the pandemic? How bad is it? Is it really as bad as people say it is? Uh, really, what is it? And we get so caught up in this, and yet when it comes to a prayer meeting or comes to being in the Word of God, comes to just loving on Jesus and letting him love on us, it's like we're more concerned about things like politics and pandemic than we are in the presence of God. Can you risk an ouch? Ouch! No ouches. Should there be a few ouches? <laughs> Is it true that that's what often we are concerned with? I'm closing with this scripture. Revelation chapter 9, verse 7. 19, verse 7. The marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb has come. There's coming a time in history when we won't be talking about politics or pandemics or anything like that. But we'll be called to the marriage supper. And it says this, his wife has made herself ready. Wow. Her wife, his wife, has made herself ready. Are you doing that today? Are we doing that as a church? Are we being consumed with the presence and the power and our love for Jesus? 
and how we can express that in a world that's wounded or broken? Or are we caught up in all the different things that grabbed the people of Ephesus and no doubt led them to that place where Jesus said, I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Let's pray. Yeah, worship team, come. Oh, Lord, we humbly come before your throne today. And we realize that the attacks of the enemy are just as real as they were when we saw these exorcisms in Ephesus way back, recorded in the book of Acts. We, they may not always appear so overtly, but they certainly are here, and they influence our culture. And it challenges us with our lifestyle. Not just what we believe, but how we express those beliefs, how we act, how we serve, how we love, how we love our fellow man and woman and children and teenagers, and most of all, how we love you. Thank you for that beautiful little sermon that Hugo brought this morning about love. And I pray that today, Lord, uh, there would be several of us who would just stop and say, oh God, show me those things that are impediments in my life. Some of them I've created or allowed to intrude into my relationship with you. Some of them have always been there and I've never dealt with them. I, I just leave that up to you, Holy Spirit, and to everyone here present, present to receive from his hand today. He that has an ear, Jesus said to each church in Revelation, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. If you're here this morning and you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, and you say, I, I want to become a follower of Christ today, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's going to look at you and see you. We're just going to, I just wanted to know that you're here and we'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? Yes, okay. You can put it down. Anybody else? All right. Okay. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord.